Today's episode of the Immaculate Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Steelers tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy it in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster and Ed Bashet. Hey everybody, it is October 7th, episode 14 of the Immaculate Podcast. Tough one on Sunday, obviously, for the Steelers. 26-23, heartbreaking loss. Really a classic Steelers-Ravens type game. We'll get through everything, including... Obviously, the injury, the scary injury to Mason Rudolph um, that that turned the game over to Duck, as we will call him, Delvin Hodges. Um, so tons to get to where this game went awry. I'm Tim McMaster, along with Ed Bouchette. We'll break it all down. Um, and I guess, first of all, just from a team standpoint, they went into this one Obviously, kind of with a, a rebirth of the season, it felt like if they could come out with a win and they were oh so close. So how much does this one hurt from a overall season standpoint? Well, in many ways, it, it, it could be a killer, Tim. Um, not only is it a loss, you lost uh, your starting quarterback, who was number two. So that's two quarterbacks you've lost. And um, uh, you lost to the first place team. So Instead of being tied, perhaps, for first place after the weekend, um, they are now two behind Baltimore, and they have played Baltimore their home game. So if they have, if they do want to get back in it, um, they will have to go to Baltimore at the end of the season. Um, it could either be a showdown in that last game, or it could mean nothing. But right now, the Steelers are in a very, very big hole, Tim. Yeah, and it's been close lately. Obviously, they got blown out in that opener against the Patriots. But the last three losses by a total of nine points, including the three points in overtime on Sunday. Um, We should start with Rudolph. Um, Obviously, a a bit of a turning point in the game, although they played well once he was gone. But a brutal hit and one of those things you never want to see on a football field. And both teams were obviously shaken. It was the third quarter. Earl Thomas coming in. He kind of got under the chin of Mason Rudolph on what turned out to be really when you think of Rudolph in the play, scrambling, finding the receiver for the first down. It was a great play by Rudolph, but Earl Thomas comes in, gets under the chin. He wasn't ejected or anything like that. What was your take just on the hit itself, Ed? It was a classic uh, illegal hit, um, whether he intended to or not. You know, they don't take intent uh, into account. He did get penalized. Uh, 15 yards, but um, as you mentioned, wasn't thrown out. He'll be fined. You can count on that. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't help the Steelers at all. You know, they lost their quarterback for at least this game, I would think, in, in, in at Los Angeles against the Chargers, and then they have the bye week, so maybe he can recover in time to to resume play when they, when they, when they resume play after the bye. But, uh, you know, after seeing it, uh, I'm, you, you almost want to put the words lucky around it because he was knocked out and went down like a rag doll 
Um, and you saw the reaction of the players kneeling and everything else and looked like uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was very emotional about it. It's, it's, it's tough to see, you know, see a knockout like that. You don't see that very often. Yeah, because he had, he was clearly out. It was the way he fell that made it kind of scarier because you could tell he was already out after the hit and he just kind of fell to the ground, like you said. And Ryan Shazier was there and on the field. And Shazier obviously, um, you know, still finding his way back from, from the terrifying injury that he went through. And then what kind of, I think, added to the scariness of this from just people on looking, Ed, was they cut the helmet off of Mason Rudolph um, and then they couldn't get the, the the trailer working, so he actually had to walk off. So you see him walking off the field with no face mask, no face guard on the helmet. Did they talk about why they had to do that and take the helmet off, the face mask off? Well, they, they do that routinely, and they didn't cut it off, Tim. It, it pops off. They can pop it off. Right, right. Um, just so they can get to his, in, in case he needs uh, mouth-to-mouth, you know, yeah. whatever he needs. They have to get to it, um, and that thing. that's why those – those things are designed to, to be able taken to be able to be taken off readily, um, but uh, fortunately they didn't need to do that. And he awoke. And you mentioned the cart that was a fiasco in itself. I've never seen that in my 35 years covering the NFL, yeah. where a cart didn't work. Um, and he, he, you know, he, he wobbled off the field under the help of teammates. It was that was tough to watch in itself. Yeah, it certainly was. As for Thomas, after the game, he said that he didn't go high and he didn't think that it was a dirty hit. Um, he was obviously penalized, and you mentioned he'll probably get fined for it. But in his eyes, he didn't think it was necessarily a dirty hit. It was clearly helmet on helmet. It was almost helmet on chin the way it turned out, and I think that was what the, the problem was. As for Rudolph, taken to a local hospital for evaluation. Obviously, he's in the concussion protocol I would imagine he's not going to be able to play next week. And, and everyone is different with concussions and how they react, how they recover. But um, as far as the Steelers go, I think you, you at least start this week expecting that you're not going to have Mason Rudolph next week. Zach Banner tweeted Sunday night that he did talk with Rudolph on the phone. So it sounds like Rudolph doing better, but um, it, it'd probably be a little ways back. We will certainly see. And that shifted all eyes onto. Delvin Hodges, or as people have become to, to, to know him, Duck, uh, because of the Duck calls, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit, Ed. But there was a situation there where they're trailing in the game. They have possession of the ball. The quarterback goes out. It's a scary scene. Um, and this game could have just basically fallen apart from that point for the Steelers. Um, but I think you got to give credit to a lot of people for for keeping them in it and, and Nobody more, I think, than than Duck, who came in and did a heck of a job as a guy who was an undrafted free agent in the offseason and signed with this team. He bring, he finishes that drive with a touchdown to put the Steelers in front, and it seemed like it kind of galvanized this team that they weren't gonna they weren't gonna just fade away after the scary injury. They were in this game for the the long haul. No, you know, uh, Devlin Hodges really um, did a did a good job under the circumstances and realizing where he came from, an undrafted rookie, unsigned rookie who made this team as a tryout, was cut, and then they traded Josh Dobbs and they signed him back to the practice squad, and here he is. Um, so uh, he, he did what he had to do, um, really. I thought above and beyond. Um, like you mentioned, he threw a he threw a nice pass to uh, 
Vance McDonald to put them on the one, and then James Conner scored to, to put them ahead from the one, uh, 20 to 17 late in the third quarter. And as you mentioned, it, it looked like they were going to rally here and, and pull this game up. Yeah, and just a little more background on Hodges. Went to Samford University, which is in the championship series. So, you know, a step down from from major college football. But he was basically the best quarterback at that level last year, but was undrafted. Um, he went to the practice squad. And it is interesting he's gotten his chance here because the Steelers did make that trade, to trade away a quarterback um, that – at the time, didn't seem like anything, Ed, but now you look back and, and suddenly he's put into this position because of, of that trade. Um, do you think the Steelers regret trading the backup quarterback or third string uh, quarterback? You know, I don't know that they, they're thinking that way right now. I mean, Josh Dobbs, would he have led them to the promised land here? Would he have done any better yesterday than uh, Devlin Hodges did? I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know. I thought Hodges played well. Um, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't his fault they lost. So, um, uh, he played winning football, I thought yesterday, and we'll see, you know, as he prepares to make his first start out in Los Angeles on Sunday. Yeah. Seven for nine, 68 yards, the total numbers for Hodges. And I mentioned the nickname duck. Um, he was a, actually a competitive duck caller, which I didn't even know was a thing, Ed. Um, he's obviously from... I think he's from Alabama, um, from the country, obviously a lot of hunting growing up and, and that sort of thing, and, and the duck calls, and he actually got into a competition, actually qualified for the world championships in, in duck calling, um, which is just kind of part of, you hear these stories and, and guys kind of become legends because of their backgrounds, and, and Hodges seems like one of those guys that his teammates kind of are drawn to him because of this just different personality that you don't see a lot of in the NFL necessarily. And, you know, um, Tim, to, to see him in person, he looks like a kicker. You know, he's not very tall. They list him at 6'1". I, I, I would have maybe problem with that. I don't know that he's that tall. And he, he's, he's not got this... Uh, this physique that you would uh, think is on a quarterback. Uh, he's kind of, uh, I don't want to use, uh, well, I will. He's kind of lumpy, you know? Um, so <laughs> if, if you saw him walking in, you'd think he was a sports writer and not a professional quarterback. But uh, uh, here he is. Uh, he, he could, you know, he could really put him, if, if they had won yesterday, he would go down in Steelers lore. Uh, if they win out in San Diego, I'm sorry, Los Angeles, I knew I was going to say San Diego <laughs> at some point. If they beat the Chargers uh, and he is a, a reason, uh, he, he, he will uh, solidify his place in, in Steelers history as uh, a, a good story. Yeah, and after the game, he talked about the fact that uh, initially it was a shock because basically Mason Rudolph is his best friend on the team, and to see his friend down like that was scary, and he quickly had to kind of turn the page and, and shift to his his own situation was suddenly being thrown into an NFL game as a guy who was undrafted and had never really played had never played in an NFL game, so definitely interesting. And you can read more about the Duck stuff. Uh, Mark Caboli wrote a nice feature on The Athletics um, a, a little ways back, so you can find that and, uh, and read the backstory. But let's get back to this game as it is and just break it down at a little bit, where it all went wrong, which seems like even though they lost this game in overtime, um, the beginning wasn't great. 
Uh, Lamar Jackson drove them right down the field. Overall, a good job against Jackson. Held him 19 of 28, 161 yards. He threw a touchdown, three interceptions, though. Uh, he added some some running, obviously, on the ground, as he always does. But um, but they fell behind early at home. It wasn't a good start for the Steelers. No, and, you know, I'm going to blame the offense, Tim. I'm not going to blame the defense for this. Uh, the Steeler offense and their return game, which is – and we'll get into this in a little yeah. bit, why Mike Tomlin chose to kick in overtime rather than take the ball. But they started on their own 11, and they wound up at the sixteen at the 5, uh, uh, and then they wound up at the 16 and had to punt. Well, Baltimore takes over and it's 41, and, the, you know, they have a good ticker, kicker. Tucker is, a, is maybe the NFL's best, Justin Tucker, uh, and we saw that again on Sunday. Um, so they didn't have to go very far, but they got down on the nine, and he kicks a field goal, and they're up 3 nothing. Okay, so they held him to three points after giving him great field position. Then the Steelers' offense comes out in that wildcat. You'd think, okay, it worked against the Bengals. Baltimore is now prepared for it. They come out on the first play from their own 12-yard line and have Jalen Samuels throw a pass that was nowhere near the receiver, a short pass. Baltimore intercepts it, sets up on a 15, and scores a touchdown. So 10 nothing. I'm putting those 10 points all on the offense, Tim. Uh, and I'm putting it on the coaches, too. It's just terrible, terrible planning. Yeah, Ed, and it wasn't just the Wildcat. It was the fact that Jalen Samuels throwing a pass out of the Wildcat. So they're down 10 to nothing, just like that. Um, and then... You put on top of that, you mentioned blaming the offense. The offense struggled in that standpoint. We talked about the quarterbacks a little bit, but the running game wasn't there either. Um, continuing to struggle as far as the rushing attack goes. Just talk about that. And Are there answers there for this running game? How much of it is the fact that they have backup quarterbacks playing? Um, how do you see that? Uh, Tim, I thought James Conner was running hard for a while there, and uh, they did give him the ball 14 times. He had only, what, 55 yards? 55, yeah. Um, it just, uh, it, there's no commitment to the run. There is absolutely none. Um, I, I'm not sure why, uh, because they've lost three close games. I can see abandoning the run if you are, um, if, if, if you're out of games. You know, uh, New England, you know, you're down whatever they were down up there and, and you have to throw the ball. You can't come back by continuing to run it and running the clock. But on close games, you can. Apparently, they don't believe in it um, for whatever reason, and um, you know they—they're asking the second and third string quarterbacks now to win games for them. Yeah, when you think you would just rely a little bit more on the run, and they did, I guess, in the last game using the wildcat, but that was different than than the straight, just hard nosed run that you could go with. So the Steelers found themselves down ten to nothing, and then they get the offense going. Uh, nice thirty five yard touchdown to to Juju uh, from Mason Rudolph. Juju seven catches, seventy five yards, and the score in the game. Uh, he looked a little bit more like a number one receiver, Ed. Was it encouraging to see? I mean, we'll get to the fumble, and that was obviously not encouraging, and that's gonna that's a problem. That's something that needs to be fixed. But overall, throughout the game, was it encouraging Juju getting open, making catches? I suppose, Tim. Um, you know, <laughs> that, um, that wasn't encouraging. <laughs> well, I, I, I still don't know that he's a number one. And when I say yeah. number one, I'm not saying that the, the team's best receiver 
A number one is a guy who can go deep on you, who um, Tucci is more of a possession slot guy. And and if, if you remember some of even his long touchdowns from his first two years, they were shorter passes that he turned into, like quick short passes that he turned into deep runs. Uh, he's very good at that. Um, they haven't been able to spring him a couple times, and one time in San Francisco, and then again yesterday. Um, but, uh, you know, he's now fumbled. He's cost them the playoffs last year and maybe this year with two fumbles, costly fumbles late in games uh, in the last seven games. All right, so let's just get let's take that transition that straight to uh, to overtime and the fumble. But before the fumble, there was the decision by Mike Tomlin to uh, kick off, which is obviously when you look up the uh, the the clear rules of what coaches should do in in football games. Uh, when you go into overtime and you win the toss, you take the ball because if you can go down the field and score a touchdown, the game's over. Um, and if you kick off and the other team does that, you lose. Tomlin though. So much, so little faith in his kickoff return team that he actually felt like his team had a better chance to win to kick off, hold the Ravens, get better field position, and then go down and score themselves. And it worked perfectly until the fumble by Juju. So Tomlin explaining it after the game, I actually didn't hate it. People have uh, people blew up on Twitter at about the decision to kick off in overtime, um, and it's kind of an it's blown up as as an outrageous thing to do. I didn't mind it. I accepted his explanation for it as well. What was your take on him kicking off to start overtime? Well, I thought it was foolish until he explained it, and then you start thinking <laughs> about it, and you go, yeah, he's right. Um, they were getting the ball at the 10, 11-yard line. They, what uh, Tucker was doing was kicking them high and dropping them about the 2-yard line, forcing them to return it, not let, letting them take a knee and getting the ball at the 25-yard line. It was a perfect strategy by them. Uh, they had good coverage, the Ravens did, and the Steelers had terrible um, returns. Um, they don't have good return men. They don't seem to be able to block anybody on special teams. So um, I once he explained it, I, it made perfect sense to me. Um, why try and start from the 11 uh, with your first one when if you don't and you have to punt and you give them the ball at the 45, look at the first series I just mentioned. They got the ball to 41, moved down to a field goal. With Tucker, you don't have to move very far. You know, he's going to kick it from 55 probably. And um, if he kicks that and you've already had your offense on the field, boom, game's over. You know, you both get at least one shot and then that's it. The next next one who scores wins. Um, unless you score a touchdown on the first one. Well, he gambled. His defense would not allow them to score a touchdown. Not only that, they held them. They should have had a first down at their 45. Instead, Juju fumbled. He certainly did. And uh, not to take anything away from Juju, you can't fumble in that situation. You have to secure the ball better. But it was a great play by Marlon Humphrey to really just punch at the football. And Juju, after the game, saying Humphrey had been doing that the whole game. And he, he was on that play. Juju was trying to make a move where he got a, a – straight arm in and thought he could turn up field and get more yardage. Um, you have to know the situation. You have to know where you are and you have to protect the football. And you think he would have learned that from the big one late last season, but then another one here, at what point is this fumbling become a reputation for a guy? 
Well, uh, James Conner's developing one. Um, Tim and, uh, you know, two fumbles in key spots like that, mm, it's not going to help your reputation, I could tell you that. Uh, but what do, they, what do they do? They can't bench him the way they benched Moncrief. Um, you know, you're running out of receivers, too, because James Washington has a sh- AC spray. Yeah, Washington was hurt as well. And Juju knows exactly what went wrong because he spoke about it after the game and seemed to take it really hard that he basically cost his team the game. Let's listen a little bit to Juju after the game in the locker room. Uh, I feel terrible, man. It's, uh, it's literally the worst one ever. Um, knowing that, you know, you have the game, the game's online overtime and you have the ball. Um, knowing that Mon Humphries, that's what he does. You know, he made a great play um, in a great situation, and he came through for his team. All right, so Juju and all this team taking the game badly. The defense, um, I mean, Ed, if there's a silver lining, the defense did play well. You mentioned that the early points and the 10-point hole, um, you could put a lot of that on the offense. Obviously, the, the field goal in overtime can be put on the offense in that fumble as well. So you look at it. And the defense really didn't give up much at all in this game. Just six points in the second half when they knew they had their third-string quarterback out there, basically. And they they picked off Lamar Jackson three times. I mentioned they held him to just 161 yards. It wasn't a perfect defensive performance, but they certainly have become the strength of this football team when they really needed them to be. Yeah, they, they really did, uh, Tim. I, I think that... Um... You know, I've seen I, I've seen complaints about their defense uh, here and there, but uh, I really don't know how you how you can do that. You know, they uh, there was also a critical um, a penalty called uh, on roughing the passer um, that 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 shouldn't have been called, and I I think should not have been called on the Steelers. It kept a, a Baltimore drive alive. Um, it was um, you know it was on. Um, Ola Adenie, uh, who was uh, in the game for T.J. Watt. And, um, you know, it, it, it was just, it, 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 um, it was ticky-tack. He made a good tackle of him, and they called the penalty anyway, and uh, that play didn't help them. They also sacked Jackson five times, so they continue to get pressure on the quarterback, which is, is good to see as well. So, Ed, now we got to turn the page a little bit and look at what's next as this team approaches the rest of the season sitting 1-4. and four. Now, if there's one silver lining, you look at the AFC, and I'm not saying that this team has a, has a shot at the playoffs. It's certainly a – it would be an incredible long shot if they're going to make a run at the postseason. But overall, when you look at the standings in the AFC, there's a lot of bad football teams, and there's not that many teams, actually, if you think about trying to find your way to a wild card berth. There's not that many teams with that are more than a game ahead of the Steelers. Um, so if there was a year where maybe 8-8 eight and eight could find its way into the postseason, maybe this is it. Now getting from 1-4 and four to 8-8, eight and eight, well, that's something as well, especially when you're you're on to your third quarterback right now. But that's where we are, and so they head across the country to the West Coast next week. Never easy. Hodges, you assume, will be the quarterback. Um, you know, how do they pick themselves up this week and get themselves ready to take on the Chargers? Well, you just have to do do it. I, I, I wrote this stuff after they fell to one and three. You know, I talked to Bill Cower and how do you, 
how do you rebound? And he said, you just win one game. Uh, I'm sorry, they were 0-3. He said, you just got to win one game. And then when you win that game, you go into the next game, he said, but you can't look ahead. And certainly these Steelers are not looking ahead at at all, uh, other than looking ahead to this game Sunday night, by the way, on prime time uh, against the Chargers. The Chargers have been a little bit disappointment themselves. They lost over the weekend and, um, you know, Philip Rivers is reason it's on Sunday night. I'm sure it was supposed to be Philip Rivers versus Ben Roethlisberger to, to one of the, two of the game's best quarterbacks. And now we're down to Rivers versus Duck, you know, <laughs> Duck on the Rivers. I don't know. Uh, we got, uh, but they have to win. Um, there, there have been teams, Tim, there have been two teams uh, that have come back from one and five. And recently, last year, the Indianapolis Colts did it and made the playoffs. And in 2015, the Kansas City Chiefs made it, uh, from rebounded from one and five and made the playoffs. So you can lose up out there, and history is still giving you hope, but I don't think there would be a whole lot of hope if they lose this one. Yeah, certainly, and and every team is different in the situation they're in. The Steelers aren't in a great situation. I mentioned the standings. I mean, just in the AFC, though, you think about it, and yet there's obviously the, the division winners are out there, like your Chiefs and your Patriots. and and But then after that, I mean, the Bills are 4-1. and one. They're in a good spot, but they're the Bills. I don't know how good they are. And then in the East, you have – you have the Jets and Dolphins are winless, so they're already still behind the Steelers. The Broncos are one and four. In the West, you have the the Raiders are in second place. They're just three and two. Second place in the North is the Browns at two and two, and then second place in the South is the three and two Colts. So there's there's not that great group of teams that have separated themselves as far as the playoffs go. So um, the NFL loves parity, and parity has certainly been king so far this season. That can help the Steelers. Now, historically, from a Steelers standpoint, they've started 1-5 and five, five times since 1969. That was Chuck Noll's first season. Uh, the only time they made the playoffs at 1976, they won four. They won nine straight. That was just a 14-game season, and they started um, one and four, and they, they make the playoffs that year. 2013, they ended up eight and eight, just missed the playoffs. Um, so they've made second-half runs. Um, now the next question as you look forward, and you mentioned Duck, and he's going to be the guy there, is he came into this game and took over, took over an attack, and he went against a defense that – didn't necessarily have a chance to, you know, weren't scouting for him, didn't know what to expect from him. Now he's going to go into a week where the Chargers are going to be able to get ready for him. How much more challenging is this week for Duck, or is it easier because he actually does get to prep? Well, it's funny, Tim. We just went through all that with Mason Rudolph because he came in in the second half of the second game after Roethlisberger was hurt and um, did a nice job, you know. Um, But... Then uh, he had a whole full week to prepare for the 49ers, and they put in a conservative game plan, didn't let him uh, cut it loose uh, the way he did in that second game, in the second half of that second game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of tack they take with Devlin this time, whether they're going to let him uh, you know, uh, run his offense the way we have seen, um, well, it's not going to be run the way Ben ran, ran it, but open it up a little more, or they're, whether they're going to be giving these handoff forward passes of one yard uh, out of the wildcat and everything else to uh, to help keep it conservative. 
I mean, at this point, you really have nothing to lose, right? I mean, what is the point of being conservative when you're one and four? You might as well just go forward and and try to make Duck some sort of Pittsburgh legend. Coaches don't look at it that way, Tim. No. Coaches look at it as every game's a must win. Uh, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record. He doesn't want to start now. Uh, he's well on his way to uh, a, a start on a losing record if it's not reversed, but... I can tell you right now, he doesn't look at it as having nothing to lose. Do you think that he at least can, maybe it's not nothing to lose. Maybe it's just, um, we're one and four. We have to just go for it and put it all on the line. Is that fair to say? Or do you think Tomlin continues to to be conservative at times? Uh, No, I think they, you know, they, they will devise a plan that they think is a winning plan. It's not... Let's chuck everything and let's just, you know, go all balls out and throw all over the place. And uh, that, that's, that's not the mentality. The mentality is they want to devise a plan to win. And however, we saw it against Cincinnati. That was not a good Cincinnati team, but they pulled out, all, they pulled out stops that they thought would work against the Bengals, that wildcat. And it did. The problem is they got two maybe too uh, enraptured with the Wildcat and used it against Baltimore, too. Yeah, and that's where uh, where it didn't work. I don't know if we're going to see much of that Wildcat anymore. Uh, certainly going to be interesting seeing how this team goes through the week, how Duck prepares. Obviously, I'm sure we'll get updates about Mason Rudolph's health and how he's doing, and obviously our thoughts are with him as well as he tries to uh, come back and, and deal with the concussion and just what was a brutal hit on Sunday. So um, a lot to still kind of unpack for the Steelers team as this season continues. And we'll get you ready for that Chargers game later this week. Uh, Mark Caboli will join the podcast, that one exclusively on The Athletic. So make sure you tune into that one. We'll have updates on on the injuries and everything and how this team hopes to approach that West Coast trip. And I'm sure Mark will be in a great mood because he loves it. I don't know if you've ever talked to Mark about traveling to the West Coast. He loves it. Well, um, I've been there many, many times through the years, Tim, and I can tell you, it, plus in, in Pittsburgh anymore, it's hard to get those direct flights to the West Coast. So uh, there's a lot of connections, a lot of time eaten up. Yeah, but not, not a, nobody wants to know our problems. <laughs> uh, we will. I will definitely ask Mark about it though uh, later this week. All right, the Athletic Podcast Network continues to grow. Want to hear how this loss impacts the Steelers in the power rankings? The NFL Power Rankings podcast is a week-by-week look at who's up and who's down in the NFL with hosts Lindsey Jones and Amy Palapiano. So make sure you tune into that one, too. Follow Ed on Twitter, at Ed Bouchette, and that's going to do it for us. Thanks to Marissa Morris doing a great job with the producing, and we will talk to you later this week with that full preview.